Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my colleagues John Easton and Adam Belmar. John is a native Oregonian, a noted campaign strategist, and our resident Senate expert. He served as chief of staff to Senators Gordon Smith and Kelly Ayotte. Adam is a native Washingtonian, a graduate of Boston University, a recovering journalist. He worked for the two Georges, Stephanopoulos and Bush. Theory one, (laughs) the establishment, talking about George Bush, the establishment strikes back. Former presidents Barack Obama and George Bush, in twin speeches, gave notice to the current White House occupant that they didn't approve of his rhetoric or his brand of politics. This should come as no surprise as neither one endorsed Mr. Trump nor likely voted for him. But it was played by the media as a brutal attack on the current administration and its policies. Here's my theory. Linking Barack Obama with George Bush is Steve Bannon's favorite dream and will serve to cement President Trump's status as a political outsider. John, uh, you really liked President Bush's speech. Give me your thoughts on it. I did like uh, President Bush's speech uh, for a number of reasons. I think that, uh, one, it was, it was very well written. You could tell that, that President Bush put a lot of thought and effort into uh, this and, 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 and how he delivered it as well. It was, uh, it was uh, an excellent appearance. And, and for a couple of reasons, I think, one, he didn't just lay out our sorry state of political affairs. I think that what he did was he, he also took us out of that very really depressing state, uh, and, and he gave us recommendations, and, and it, was, it was a bit inspiring. I think what, what he was trying to do is, without getting all the specifics, he said in order to renew our country, we have to remember our values. And, and I think what was also interesting is it wasn't just that speech this week. There were three major Republican officials and former officials that gave three major speeches in, in different ways. John McCain, George W. Bush, and John Kelly. And John Kelly's speech actually came in the form of a, was a little side speech from his briefing, White House briefing, where he took the podium yesterday. Uh, we'll get into that later. But it was all about, okay, we are in this very uh, tough predicament here politically in our nation, and we have to really kind of remember where we came from in order to get out. And I think that's Really, it's, it's really worth reading. It's really worth watching if you haven't, because I think that all Americans can really identify with it. Now, Adam, I, I make the linkage between Obama and Bush because that's what the press did. I think that uh, President Bush's speech had, uh, and he denied it had anything to do with Trump. I talked more about the state of affairs. But inevitably, anytime you talk about white supremacy or anything like that, the, the media initially um, immediately links it to President Trump. Um, what are your th- you, you work for the president? What, what are your thoughts? And I and I hold the former president in such high esteem. I felt like what we heard from George W. Bush yesterday was not something that we haven't heard before. It was a really eloquent reiteration of some fundamental themes <clears throat> of his politics. And so it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't something that you've never heard before. But at the same time, because President Bush is so thoughtful about when he speaks, and he really hardly ever does, that it was easy for folks to link all this together. I I was inspired by what he had to say. I felt like it came at the right time, and I think he offered it up in the right way. He certainly was condemning divisive politics 
and a lot of the things that are easy to identify that have been problematic for our current president. <clears throat> but at the same time, I think he did it in a very gentlemanly way, and uh, it just was something that that made me feel like he was raising all of us up, and, it, and we needed it. Now, let me ask you this question, um, and I hate to be blunt here um, and maybe a little bit counter to what, what you guys are saying. I thought it was a good speech. Uh, I think it's going to fall on deaf ears to a lot of people who voted for, for Trump, and it's another example of you know, establishment figures, the, the political establishment who, you know, the, the Bannon voter, the Trump voter feels like this establishment has betrayed me. My wages have not gone up. We have all these illegal immigrants coming in. Globalization, which President Bush talks about, you know, has been a bummer for a lot of people. And, um, you know, is, is he the right messenger to deliver this message, John? Well, I, I think you, you nailed – uh, something that has been happening really ever since the, pr uh, the current president was a candidate running for office, blew through the Republican primary, blew away the, the, the likes of you know, governors and, and sitting senators. And I think he really knew that we were going to have sort of this issue with President Trump in terms of the, the establishment weighing in, like the heavyweights weighing in, when Mitt Romney gave his excoriating speech uh, of, of Trump, Donald Trump, candidate Trump at the time. And there was a collective shrug about it, and it was a very well-written, very well-delivered speech, very deep, thoughtful, and had American values from A to Z all the way through that speech, much like George W. Bush's did yesterday. But your point is a good one, John. I, I think that just because these stalwarts are saying we have to be careful here, we have to remember our values, something's missing, we're in dangerous territory, doesn't mean that things are going to change politically. Yeah, I, you're right. Uh, probably falls on deaf ears with that crowd, no doubt about it. Um, I do think it's a little ironic that here in 2017, George W. Bush is suddenly the articulate elder statesman of the Republican <laughs> yeah, Party. Yeah, I remember when Democrats used to you know, call him a racist, right? Well, listen, I, I don't think there's anything like that in that man's body, and a lot of what he's done in his silence and his works, his good works, say to me everything about who he is. But as a political driving force, what he said was great, I think, and it resonated with some. But I think it's going to largely fall on deaf ears for the folks who are firmly behind President Trump right now. Now, the irony is that President Bush and President Obama said many of the same things, but they were in Virginia uh, campaigning for uh, different candidates. And I will only make mention of this because uh, Red Gillespie is running a pretty tough campaign ad on MS-13 that uh, I think is going to resonate for him because no one wants it is, to. It is resonating. You know, they've just put out a poll in that race where the, uh, the gap between him and the Democratic challenger, the lieutenant governor, uh, Northam, evaporated. Right. I mean, this is a heated race going down the wire where the momentum is on the side of uh, Ed Gillespie. And the irony is, you know, anytime you have President Obama coming up to show up to, to campaign, you know that the Democrat is worried about turnout. You're in the trouble Democrat. if you're calling out that yeah. big well, gun. What do you think about that, John? Well, I, I, I'm watching uh, the, the playbook that come out with, on the Democratic side that you've seen so many times, which is to really energize the population center, in this case, Northern Virginia, the Washington, D.C. suburbs of Northern Virginia, and drive and inspire, motivate those voters. Because on election night, as we've seen time and time again with presidential elections, you watch 
Virginia looks like it could go Republican, and then the suburbs come in, and boom, it's 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 over. The Washington D.C. suburbs. I mean, right. this has always been a traditionally red state. It has been blue for quite a while through governors and the entire Senate delegation, yeah. and uh, that is almost exclusively because of the population in Northern Virginia. You know, I will say this: uh, earned media coverage is driving this story for Ed Gillespie, and I mean that not not about. You know Gillespie's campaign ad. I mean about actual MS-13 attacks, murders. I mean this gang is out of control, and it's out of control in the suburbs, not in D.C. So this is why this campaign is resonating for folks. And you can be like Ed Gillespie has been, pro-immigration reform and against MS-13. And I think the sanctuary city argument is working very well for Ed Gillespie. I, I would just jump back in to say that. Uh it's all about timing, right? And, and, and I liked what uh, Easton was saying about the speech from Mitt Romney, but this, this date and time on this particular week to have these two former presidents come out and largely condemn the rhetoric in our politics and, and, and those elements that people are most upset about who aren't with Trump, uh, they hit home. And people are going to be talking about it on Sunday, and more op-eds will be written uh, it might have uh, might not have a giant profound impact, but I do think that uh, they really couldn't have timed it any better. Theory two: Gold Star mess. At a press conference earlier this week, Mr. Trump bumbled a question about the deaths of four American soldiers in Niger, and stumbled into how he expresses his condolences to the families of the grieving. What ensued was a weird week of political posturing about Gold Star families. It took the White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly, in a powerful statement and more powerful press conference to put an end to all the nonsense and call out a Democratic Florida Congresswoman, Frederica Wilson, for being completely out of line. My theory, John Kelly once again shows how he is the adult in the room and why it's so important to keep him there as Chief of Staff. Adam, you watched Kelly's remarks. Uh, Your thoughts? Well, we should all be uh, able to recognize how lucky President Trump is to have someone like General Kelly as his chief of staff. He's had a a really profound impact, I think, on this White House and the president, and that's wonderful. Uh, The fact that it required the chief of staff to come out into the briefing room for a second time in two weeks says a great deal about how much words matter. Uh, This president has had an enormous uh, ramp up a learning curve for how to do this job because he came into it with hardly any real relevant governing experience. And uh, he really put his foot in it um, on Monday, and then he doubled down, as he often does, and created uh, the real center of this controversy. And some of it, quite frankly, for folks who are still getting up to speed on it, was because he took some really personal advice that we now know all about, thanks to General Kelly, and started repeating some of it in public in ways that he shouldn't have, and then you know, mangled the delivery of this comment about he knew what he was getting, what he was signing up for. General Kelly lost a son in Afghanistan, and what he did in the briefing room, John Fury, was just deeply personal. It was deeply personal, and I, but I also thought that he... He tried to tell us exactly what he told the president. He I think, I, I think, I think exactly he felt personally. I think he felt personally responsible for what the president. And I, I think the president was trying to, you know, express his condolences in any way he know. And he wanted advice from General Kelly, which he got. Uh, John Easton, 
once again, the media runs with this. And then the Democrats, this, this crazy congresswoman from Florida, she's, she's a nutcase. And she's, you know, she's every bit as egotistical as, as Donald Trump, uh, maybe worse. And she's listening in on that conversation, which I think is entirely inappropriate. What do you think? Well, and, and John Kelly uh, was uh, very articulate about that and very uh, emotional about that, how he described how really that um, he was stunned that the congressman was on, on the call. But let's step back to really what, what, how this all got started. And, and, and I think it, it reflects the fact that Donald Trump is, is not a politician. He still really isn't a politician. He doesn't come from those roots. And I think in situations like this, you know, I think not being a politician can be very helpful to uh, you know, the president in, in, in many situations. And in this case, it was not. Because the moment, and I was watching this speech live, and the moment that he started commenting about his predecessor's outreach to families, grieving families of fallen soldiers, uh, I knew that this was going to get ugly. And it did, and it did very quickly. And, and what happens in, in these situations is someone initiates, someone reacts, the temperature goes way up, and the media, it's like catnip to them. And that's what happened in this case. But the fact that it happened over a fallen soldier, American soldier, you know, as an American myself, I mean, it's completely inexcusable that this occurred. No matter who's to blame, and I think that because it was it was a fallen soldier, and I, it doesn't even matter who's to blame and who escalated. And the fact we just cannot, our politics cannot go there. And I was, I was just absolutely appalled, whether it was the, the congresswoman or, or the, whether it was the president commenting about his predecessors. The whole thing was handled so, so badly. And to have General Kelly come in, who was the right person to come in and try to clean up this mess, the fact that he had to do this, I know pained him greatly. But thank God he did come in and do it. I think that there are some real lessons to be learned here, especially for President Trump. And that is, as I said at the beginning, words matter, okay? You have decided to do your very best in this case to convey how serious this loss is and how it's resonating at the highest level of government. But what you have to remember, Mr. President, is that so many people, especially the press, they are they want to misunderstand what you say. They, they purposely want to, want to misunderstand. That's and, right. And, and they, take, they take things out of context. You know, what, what this reminds me, you know, anytime you work for any kind of politician, you always need to be careful that you're giving them not only information that is accurate, but also the way you give the information so it doesn't get screwed up. And I, this happened to me plenty of times where I make an offhand, offhand remark or someone made an offhand remark to me and then I would repeat. I remember one time I was working with the speaker and I, uh, I was talking to my chief of staff and this is during the Supreme Court. Uh, when the Supreme Court was deciding George Bush versus Al Gore. Gore. And uh, my chief of staff said something about them being a bunch of partisan hacks. And I saw a Washington Post reporter like three minutes later, and I called the Florida Supreme Court a bunch of partisan hacks, which he used in the quote. And it started being fodder for CNN and MSNBC, and they were attacking me for attacking the speaker for getting involved. And keep in mind, this is a moment when there was some thought about the Speaker of the House becoming president because this whole thing was – so it, it caused a huge controversy. It is easy when you're talking to the media to say things that you probably, you know, just come to the top of your mind. And if you're President Trump, 
you say things that come to the top of your mind all the time. That's how you, so it's not just the president's fault. It's also, I think, a learning experience for all of his advisors. And, um, and that, that's the, the, the thing that, that you have to understand. I, yes, and I, and I want to jump right back in there again because there's, there's even more lessons to be learned. In addition to recognizing this fact that so many people, especially the, the press, are seeking to misinterpret what the president is saying, there are also some boilerplate reactions that this president has that are really not serving him well. So let's deconstruct for just a second. He made this call. The congresswoman was listening in on the call. She brings out what he said, which we now understand the context and the, the depth of the meaning of what he was trying to communicate. It didn't go well, apparently. But now we understand that this was essentially what was said, and yet the president has said, I never said that, and I have proof. Well, where have I heard that before? I think I heard that with James the Comey. loyalty pledge and with the former FBI director. You know who else invoked the FBI director's name yesterday? General Kelly did. He was talking about the eulogy that he gave, um, but the shared experience that uh, the general has and losing folks and being there for, for folks and having himself lost a son tells us everything we need to know about him. But if it tells you, Mr. President, anything, it's that you need to stop saying things that either aren't exactly correct or may even worse be untrue, but then stop denying them and saying that there's truth to it. You're burning out your press secretary. You say there's proof, and yet they she says that yeah. there's no I think that's right. tape I, of that. I think, I think it's right. Adam. I You're think, shutting uh, me down because uh, uh, I'm going to go too far here. No, I'm just going to shut down because we're going to move on. But John, John Easton, uh, you know, this is a hopefully a learning experience for everybody in the White House. It is, and, and I've long said with uh, doing campaigns and, and, and managing some of these offices for, for uh, members of Congress, that there is really something to going through the rigors of, of local politics and being a politician, making your mistakes at yeah. a local level when the Klieg lights aren't on you. Klieg lights meaning high national office, and in, in President Trump's case, the highest in the world. And, and I think what he's experiencing, and really over the last nine months, is he's experienced a lot making mistakes in the Klieg lights. We're all human. We all make mistakes, but a lot of these uh, members of Congress have made them at the local level. County commissioner uh, could be on the school board, whatever. I, I, lo I love what he's saying because the president continually talks about how no one's ever seen a Category 5 hurricane before. Well, trust me, Mr. President, many of these politicians have been under this microscope before. You have never seen it because you've never been there, and you are learning a great deal. You've got a long way to go, but I yeah. do think that uh, if we give him enough time, he'll get there. But in the, in the interim, God, man. Clean it up. One, one, one's bitten twice shy, but he, he keeps getting bitten, and he's not shy at all. And I think that that's a problem for this president. But, you know, the other thing about this president is the media hates him. And they love to take everything he says out of context. Yeah, and true. you have a, a group of people, the media, the never-Trumpers, and then the Democrats. And, and anything that he says is taken way out of context. And believe me, the media is suffering because of it, because people don't believe the media anymore. That's and right. I think that's a problem. That's right. Theory three, he's all over the place. 900 feet, up to 1,300 feet. What an asshole. That's my favorite line from the movie Airplane. <laughs> Airplane. And that could describe President Trump's position on the bipartisan effort to fix Obamacare. He first said he was for it, and then he said he was against it. Nobody knows for sure where he is. Now, I don't mean to imply that the president is an asshole. 
And I think his reluctance to embrace Senator Alexander's bill has less to do with his own personal preferences and more to do with the fact that Republicans aren't ready to embrace it in either the House or the Senate. John, this whole episode has been extremely confusing to me, extremely confusing to the American people, extremely confusing to the media, and I think also confusing to the president. Help us understand it. I don't know how much clarity I can actually give on, on the uh, health care bill and the, and the CSRs that are at the middle of it, but I can tell you that uh, if, if we all have been whipsawed by, by President Trump's positions, statements, I think you get a good sense of how President Trump feels about getting whipsawed by his own party because that's kind of what's going on in, inside the Republican Party when it comes to health care. I mean, you have the Freedom Caucus, you have the Heritage Foundation, you have the Chamber of Commerce, you have Rand Paul, you have uh, Ted Cruz. It's, you know, Republicans really can't get this health care thing right because they don't agree. And that is where we are right now in the fall of 2017. Even after the debacle of repealing and replacing Obamacare, it's just where it is. And, And I applaud Chairman Alexander and Senator Murray for their efforts. I think they're working really hard on this, and what they're doing is extremely important because they're trying to put a Band-Aid on a, a, a really dire situation with the, with the insurance markets. But what's happening is, is not, it's the president, yes, but it's all the forces within the party. It's, it's all the factions that are really, they've got the knives out. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't see a health care bill coming on the floor. Mitch McConnell's not going to do that. He's not going to put a bill on the floor that's amendable without there being next to 100% agreement. I kind of felt like he was more or less clear about that on Monday in the Rose Garden. And he, he is just not going to go through a health care debacle again unless he's got solid agreement within his caucus. And, what? And, the president and, said they had the votes. Well, you know, the, Did he not say that this week, gentlemen? I think, I think this also it's a context of the votes. And to your point, John, Mitch McConnell is not that interested in dividing up his caucus, even though he's very, very close to Senator Alexander. Uh, but he also doesn't want to go through a situation where something does pass, a bipartisan bill does pass the Senate and then dies in the House, and then all his members who voted for it are in a very, very vulnerable spot. I mean, what, what, the, what Mitch McConnell is trying to do, he's trying to get a budget pass, which he just did yesterday. I think that's going to fly through this, the, the House. And this is going to put them in an incredibly strong position to pass a tax bill as a Christmas present. Yep. And what he doesn't need to have is this all complicated. So I think that that, that was kind of one of those things. Where I think that President Trump would be more than happy to get a bill that stabilizes the markets because he doesn't want that to happen where you have insurance pre- premiums go up, especially in Trump country. Yeah, and, and, and the health care policies that need to be passed by the end of the year, they're piling up, and, and they will probably get – into a end-of-the-year package, maybe a midnight package, a Christmas package, uh, where it's sort of being forced to pass it and get out of town. And I think what you'll find is is this very issue that we're talking about, the, that Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray have been working on and the president has been commenting on, uh, there will be some sort of fix in there right at the end of the year. You know, I, I sincerely hope that that's correct, and I, I can see a path for it. I see the whole coach, but you know what? You can see the whole and that means you have to make consistent first downs in order to move the ball. And this three yards in a cloud of dust that we're seeing every week, which doesn't lead to a first down, the president stepping on his message or creating a controversy, he's more than capable of refining this game plan to a point where he can move things forward. I want him to. 
I think he's almost there. I think General Kelly helps. We just need to see the president push a little harder on himself. And I, I do think that once they finish the tax bill and get, that gets signed into law, it's going to be a huge change for this White House. And I think that you'll see a lot of other things happen. Yeah. And I think that's going to be. I think it's going to be good for the economy. I think it's going to be good for the markets, which are, by the way, are still going up. We're over Dow twenty three thousand. It's remarkable. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll be tired of winning at that point, but I'm waiting for that. I'd like to be tired of winning. I'm, I'm so tired of winning right now. <laughs> uh, talking about tired of winning, finally lightning round. John Easton, what are you buying or selling today? I'm going to buy today, and I'm going to recommend my stock, and that is. The uh, Tennessee Titans quarterback, Marcus Mariota, former University of Oregon quarterback, Heisman winner. He stepped into a game last, well, it was Monday night of this week against the Indianapolis Colts. He had a badly injured hamstring. He stayed in the pocket the whole game. He just fired bullets around the field, and uh, they ended up crushing the Colts. First time in 11 games against the Indianapolis Colts. They won. He's back, and... More than anything else, the reason why I love this guy is he has got a character of gold. And again, in this world, both political and sports, I think we need more of him. Mariota, bye, bye, bye. Adam Belmar. Okay. Um, This is far afield from the Arby's pick from last week. Um, (laughs) Good recommendation, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to go back two weeks, and I want to recommend to folks that uh, you buy the stock of the CIA director, Mike Pompeo. He's not going anywhere. He's staying at uh, CIA. He gave a phenomenal speech at a think tank here in Washington this week, and he just showed, first of all, he's got a great history. People don't even understand how intelligent and his level of service. I'd have not always agreed with Pompeo, but from what I can tell, from what I've seen, what I've read from people who listen to the speech, he's got uh, a great handle on what's going on uh, in advancing our agenda and pressing this war on terror that we don't talk about, radical, radical Islamic terrorism. Um, and uh, I just think the president's got a guy who's exactly where he wants him. And as wonderful as he is, he's not going to state by the stock. He's staying at his DCI. Um, my, <laughs> I've been having an internal debate what we should buy or sell. One thought I was going to sell Nancy Pelosi just because she's at some point in time has to retire and I think that this would be as good a time as ever to sell Nancy Pelosi stock. My buy recommendation, though, is buy Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They're playing USC this weekend, and I think they're going to win. And if they win that game, they're going to be in a strong position to contend for BCS. And the Irish are back, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I want to make one final note um, about my dog, Noodle. Uh, Noodle the Poodle has uh, been very sick. Uh, we're f- feeling very – he's a standard poodle. A standard poodle. This is a, a large yeah. animal, a beautiful animal. Yeah, and he's been very sick, and I want to shout out to all the Noodles fans out there. Um, not not going well for him, but, uh, you know, let's let's pray for Noodle the poodle. My Uncle Bob used to say that uh, dogs have no souls, um, quoting I think it was uh, Aquinas who said that. But uh, Noodle, he's, if, if, if he does depart, he will be uh, joining Sam the dog, my uh, for other dog, and – Dogs, you know, they, they stick with you for a long time. My so heart's breaking. My heart, my, heart, my heart to noodle. Good dog. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Yeah, baby.